As we come to this text today, we're completing the third chapter of the Gospel of John. It's interesting that as Pastor Larry was reading out of Hebrews, we're talking about pleading for commitment. The author of Hebrews, whoever it is, is pleading for commitment three times today, if you hear his voice. Remember he read it? Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I think of the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, who says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you, or we plead with you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's a plea that is in our voice. We come to these words of John, and we find that just like Jesus, who said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, went on to say, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He went on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And now John is talking to his disciples who have been jealous and angry and bitter and controlling. They want the biggest crowds. And John is saying, quit following me, go to Jesus. And the last words he says are in verse 35 and 36. These are the last words before he is arrested and then finally put in prison and beheaded. He says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Yesterday, God allowed me the privilege of speaking with a man I've spoken with for over 40 years and have been attempting to witness to him. He's listened to me, but not with an ear to hear. But he's put up with me, and I keep going back to him. He's a year older than me, and yesterday... He really listened to me. And he said, it's hard for me to believe what you're saying, but there's a lot about what I believe that I don't know too much about. And so I took courage and I kept sharing. And I shared the gospel one more time, and he listened, and I said, are you ready to receive the Lord? And he looked at me, and he said, I'm not sure I am yet today. But three times he said to me, you take care of yourself. I said, I'll be back. He said, you take care of yourself. Then he said it again. I think it, it was his way of saying, I appreciate you coming after me. And so I called Pastor Larry and I said, would you join me in praying for this man? 
And though I'm not mentioning his name, if this man comes to your mind, join with me. I, I wept over him yesterday, and he saw my tears. And I pled with him. As I'm going to plead with you today, let's be faithful in our commitment to plead for souls. God wants us to plead for souls. I beg you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Father, use this message today for your good and your glory. Speak to our hearts. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Recently, I've been reading about a tribe in north-central Tanzania where 99% of all of that tribe, the Alagwa tribe, A-L-A-G-W-A, they are Muslim. That means that 39,600 of them are Muslim. All but 400 are Muslim. And this family, Owen and Miriam Pugh, who have four children, Ella, Charlie, Imani, and Ceres, they left Bunyan Baptist Church in Stevenage, England, and they are attempting to reach this tribe for Christ. I talked to Emily Allen yesterday about them, and she knows them personally. She'll be coming to speak with us on Sunday night, July 2nd. But she says, oh, they're reaching the Alagua tribe for the Lord. It's amazing what they're doing. And as I read this little article by Miriam, Owen's wife, she said that these Alagua are interesting people in that though they speak Swahili as their trade language, they will not talk about life unless they speak in their native tongue, which is Alaguizi. And it is not a written language. It's just like the Turkmen language has been in the past before Johnny went to them. And so now, Owen and Miriam Pugh are attempting, with eight translators, four of them are saved and four of them are not, to translate the Bible into the Alaguizi language. Because you can't talk about Jesus with them in Swahili. They won't talk about it. They will only talk about it in their native tongue. And what she did in her little article, I'm going to give you four points before I even share my message because I believe it illustrates what God wants us to do that John the Baptist was doing with his disciples, pleading with them to leave him and go to Jesus. She says that working with the Alagua tribe has taught her four lessons. The first lesson is despite appearances, we never work alone. That's the first thought. She says, if you come to the Alagua tribe, you would think it's just us. But she said, if you could see behind the scenes, you would see that ultimately in God's kingdom, God is the one who is working. God is the one who is opening doors. God is the one who is using us to draw the lost to him. God is the one with those in heaven who is rejoicing over each Alagua person that comes to Christ. So despite appearances, we never work alone. The second lesson is it's important that God's word is accessible in the language of the people. And what she's saying, the reason why we're trying to translate it 
we can speak in Swahili to them, but they won't talk Swahili to us about life. They only talk that about trade. They won't speak in Swahili about their life. And that's why we use different translations. You see, it's a good thing to have different translations. Did you know that? So we can speak to people in their own language. We have to make it accessible so people will understand in their own language. It must be accessible. The third point she made is God is willing to work through slow, messy progress. That's just important for us to know. God uses people like you and me. People who have to ask God for forgiveness, who have to say, I'm sorry, I did wrong. I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. God still uses slow, messy progress. He uses real people like you and me. And if you say to yourself, I don't know if I can do this job I have facing me. I don't know if I can do it. God says, you're my man. You're my woman on the job. You're the one I'm counting on. Yeah, but I'm messy. I'm messing stuff up. Yes, but I can still use you. And the fourth point she makes is we're not called to save souls, but only to die to ourselves. That's why they're, they left Stevenage, England. She says they have a British brogue, and she says, yet they're being used of God in a wonderful way. Pastor Kevin, this past week, as he talked to us about dying to ourselves, being crucified with Christ in our small group, what he was teaching us is what she is learning. We have to die to ourselves, Galatians 2.20. So I want you to pray, if you would, with Emily and with myself for this little tribe, this Alagua tribe, and Owen and Miriam and their eight translators, that this language, the Alaguizi language, would be soon in the language of the people. God's going to bring a harvest, and he's begun it. Now this morning, as we look at this passage, I want you to know that what we're attempting to do in our lives, even in our lives at work, even in our neighborhood, we try to speak the same language. Most of us know English, I hope. We plead for lost people to be saved. We plead as we die to ourselves. We plead for them to die to themselves. We learn to plow difficult ground. We do things that God calls us to do that are messy and we don't always know how to do it. But we count on God to get us through. Now, prior to his imprisonment, John is no longer trying to stop these disciples of his from being bitter and jealous and angry and controlling. He's not been, he's not been doing that now anymore. He's all of a sudden gone to a new message that he's going to say. He's saying, don't listen to me. Look at the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Look at the testimony. And he says, whoever believes in him has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son will not see life. As we look at his words when he says, turn to Jesus, it reminds me of words that I read in my freshman year of college. We were asked to read the book, Mere Christianity. Have any of you read Mere Christianity? It's a good book by C.S. Lewis. And 
he has a little spot in that mere Christianity where he really talks about the urgency of the moment and pleading for commitment. He says, God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. You might say he has landed in disguise. Why is he not landing in force, invading it? Remember when he came, he came humbly. He says, is it not that he's strong enough? Oh, well, he's going to land in force. He's going to land soon when he comes again. We don't know when, but we can guess why he's delaying. He says he wants to give us the chance to join his side freely. He says God is going to invade all right, but what's the good of saying you're on his side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting like a dream and something else, something that never entered your mind to conceive, comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time, it will be God without disguise. When he comes the second time, it'll be without disguise. There'll be no disguising or no, I didn't know who he was. Something so overwhelming, it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. When Jesus comes again, you can't get saved. You either do it now or for eternity, you're lost. Now, John the Baptist's disciples, we hope by now, have abandoned their foolish notions of bitterness, anger, and jealousy and control. Their rivalry with Jesus and his disciples is over. It is silenced. John the Baptist was telling them in his last words before arrest, quit defending me, follow Jesus. Commit yourselves to him in faith. Up until now, if you remember last Sunday's message, he's spoken of his relationship with Jesus. And his relationship is friend of the bride. Or friend of the bridegroom, I should say. Friend of the bridegroom. And it's his task to bring the bride to the bridegroom. Now John's focus, he's pointing to Jesus' testimony about himself and about his father. And this concern begs the question today for all of us, do you accept the testimony of Jesus? Do we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we truly know him? It's not enough to go to church or even be a member of a church. You know, you could get, even get into this church and not know Jesus because you knew the right words to say. But the Lord knows if you truly, truly know him. John concludes his words with five excellent reasons why they and we should accept the testimony of Jesus as true. And I want to give those to you, five reasons to accept and receive Jesus' testimony. Number one, Jesus' testimony is from above, and it's above all others. Notice verse 31. He who comes from above is above all, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly or earthy way. He who comes from heaven is above all. None of us who are truth seekers, if we're really a truth seeker, listen to gossip to find out what the truth is. Gossip is sin. 
It's sinful information to even know or listen to. Gossip is always skewed information. Truth seekers go to the top. We go straight to the top. John the Baptist was telling his disciples, don't listen to me anymore. Go straight to the top. Go to Jesus Christ. And he contrasted his testimony as three times being earth from earth, he who is from earth comes from the earth and is earthly or earthy. But he talks about Jesus. He possessed both a human nature and first a divine nature. Thus Jesus not only knows our perspective as human beings, he knows everything that is heavenly. Why? Because he is from heaven. He comes from heaven. He's really saying to them, go to Jesus. Jesus is God. He's from heaven. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He knows all about God and all about us. So first of all, the first reason to believe in Jesus is his testimony is from the top. It's from above, and it's above all others. Secondly, Jesus' testimony is an eyewitness testimony. If you'll notice verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. What John the Baptist meant is that Jesus knew everything about heaven and everything there is to know and everything there is to see. Why? Because that's where he came from. His testimony is an eyewitness testimony. Jesus left heaven to testify on earth who God is, what God is like. No one else before or no one else since has ever or will ever have such an eyewitness report from heaven. Now, I want to take you on a little journey with me and let you kind of understand what this means. We are strange people. We have the word of Christ from heaven. And yet, if someone dies and has the experience of dying and maybe for a few moments being in heaven and claiming to see heavenly things and even claiming to see Jesus or seeing some of their loved ones or or seeing part of the golden streets or the walls of the city. They come back and we make a movie about it. We write books about it. Why don't we go to the top? Why would we take from someone who dies and for a few minutes, some people have been declared dead for 10 minutes and they've come back and that's the last word on who Jesus is. And I say, uh-uh, uh-uh. Let me explain it a little better. Let me explain what I mean by that. I have been to many nations, as many of you have been to many nations. I have stayed as long as three and a half weeks in one nation. But don't ask me about that nation. Don't ask me all about Russia or India or Moldova, or Haiti. Don't, don't do that to me. Why? It's so limited. What I have is just a glimpse of that nation. I can't give you a lot of information. All I can tell you is a few stories. And, 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 and you know, if you want to write a book about it, fine, but it's not the last word on Russia, or Romania, or Turkey, or Israel, or something. No, not at all. And then if I can boil it down 
to the snippets that I know. There are snippets that I know about certain places where I've had long layovers. I've gone to certain airports where I've had long layovers in the airport. I've been in Frankfurt, Germany, where they have a clock for every nation and tell you what the time is in every nation. I don't know if that's helpful, but there it is. I've been to Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and I've been there where you better not leave where you're seated and walk down the hall very far because it's pornographic junk all over in Amsterdam. I've been in Doha in Qatar. I've been there for a long time and sat down on chairs of gold, gold on the floors, drinking, I had a latte out of a gold cup. They're trying to bring heaven down to earth, but it isn't convincing. It's opulent, but it makes me sick. I've been to Mumbai. I've sat there. When you get off the plane, it's India, but I never got off the plane, so I didn't have to smell it there. When you get off in Nagpur, it's India. But I just sat there in Mumbai, but as we taxied in, we taxi past the slums. Twelve million are all around the airport living in tents, lean-tos, boxes. It's about all I can tell you about Mumbai. It's just awful. I've been to Vienna, Vienna, Austria, where the airport floor is so clean you could eat off of it. But if you want to know about Doha or Vienna or Frankfurt or Amsterdam, Mumbai, don't ask me. I've just been in the airport. It's not only limited, it's extremely limited. And now let me just go a little bit further. Have you ever gone and sat in a place you'd like to get off at, but you just were sitting there on the plane? I've sat for hours in a plane that we didn't get off. Shannon, Ireland was a medical emergency landing. Two people had a heart attack there. They had a heart attack on the way, prayed with them. I saw the quaint houses, I saw the forest, and it was green, it was beautiful. But don't ask me about Shannon, Ireland. Ask Andrew Kohler. He lived there. He'll tell you about it. Do you know I've been in Honolulu, Hawaii, and sat on the plane? They didn't let us off. Didn't even get to go into the airport. We just sat there. We sat there for quite a while as finally others came on the plane and we flew to Fiji. But I can tell you, if you want to know about that place, he swooped down twice to let us see the big waves coming in and I saw surfers coming in. That's all I've seen in Hawaii. Don't ask me about Hawaii and say, how did you like your time there? I am not severely limited. I'm totally limited. What I'm saying to you is, why do we go to people that have snippets, snatches, little tiny bits to tell you about heaven and tell you about God and Jesus and what he looks like? We've got it from the top. Here it is, right in the book. Why don't we look to the one that came from heaven? That's the one that I want to get my information from. Some years ago, I mentored a man. He's a good man. He's a godly man. And I know no other thing in his life that I felt like he was so off on. But he just said to me, he said to me as a pastor, he's retired now. 
But he said to me, I have studied much on John 14, and I want you to know that there's no mansion or palaces or rooms in heaven. He said it's just a resting place for our spirits and souls. And I tried to say some other things to him, but I didn't follow him because I've got it from the top. Because Jesus said in John 14, in my Father's house are what? Many mansions. And if it were not so, I'd have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, on the way, you know, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. And so I come to you today in Jesus' name and tell you, believe the testimony of Jesus. The testimony is from above and above all others. It is an eyewitness testimony. Go to the top. Go to the top. Take it from Jesus in his word. Number three, Jesus' testimony agrees perfectly with his Father. Now I know what I'm going to illustrate here in John 3 is a little strange because I read, yet no one receives his testimony. And the next verse says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this that God is true. Now, which is it? Some people say, see, that's contradictory. Well, I want to tell you something. We all talk that way. Let me give you some illustrations of how it goes. I want you to know there are exceptions and you and I are exceptions to the rule because John the Baptist said, no one receives his testimony yet whoever receives his testimony. If you received his testimony, you're the exception that proves the rule. Let me explain this way of speaking. Paul, anointed by the Holy Spirit, said in 1 Corinthians 1, 14 to 16, he said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else or not. What's he saying under the anointing of the Holy Spirit? I first thought it was just Crispus and Gaius, and then I remembered Stephanas, and maybe there was somebody else I baptized, I don't know for sure. But what he's trying to say is, I didn't baptize many. Others baptized them. But what about John? How does John talk? John talks the same way. We go to John 1 in verse 11. And what does he say? He came, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Man, that's sad. What's the next word? But, <laughs> but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe in his name. We are those in the butt there. We have received him. We've been born again. Jesus shares what he has seen and heard from the Father, John 8, 38. Those of us who have received his witness, we know by personal experience his witness is true. John 17, John 7, 17 and 18 Jesus said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching <coughs> I have is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. 
The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Jesus' testimony, the Father agreed with perfectly. Those who accept the testimony of Jesus, that he is the Son of God, we set our stamp or our seal. People can tell where your seal is when you witness to them. They can tell if you set your seal that what Jesus said is what the Father says. John the Baptist would recall, and we can recall what John the Baptist said. We read in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, you remember he went down into the water and he said, baptize me, John. He says, no, you baptize me. He says, no, to fulfill all things, you baptize me. And after he came up out of the water, we read, behold, the heavens were open to him. Now, this is the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John said. But here now, he's coming up out of the water. The heavens are open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What Jesus says, what the Father says, agree perfectly. Watch out when that doesn't happen. Now I'm going to do something I rarely do. It's not because I never do it, but I usually don't do it. But I'm going to do it. This is time for an exception. I don't normally speak about the names of cultic groups. I just figure I'll leave them alone. But I want to tell you, there's a group that live in this community and all around Sweetwater County and all around the world. I've run into them overseas in almost all the nations. They're called Jehovah's Witnesses. And they have a different Bible than we have, although it's the same Bible, it's just mistranslated on purpose. It's called the New World Translation of the Christian Greek Scriptures. It sounds very good. They say that Jesus is not co-equal with the Father. They teach he was created by God, but he was Michael the archangel come to earth who was stripped of his angelic nature to become only a man. And in John 1.1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what do they say in their translation? They say, originally the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was a little G-O-D, a little God. That's what they think of my Jesus and your Jesus. They're a cult. They're denying Jesus' testimony agrees with his father. And John has a warning in 1 John 2.10. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching the teaching that Jesus and the Father agree. Do not receive him into your house and do not give him Godspeed. I ask you, where have you set your seal? Have you set your seal to Jesus' testimony that agrees with the Father? Can you say, yes, he's from above, he's from the top, he's above all others. It's an eyewitness testimony, I believe, that eyewitness testimony. His testimony agrees perfectly with the Father, number four. There's a fourth reason to believe Jesus' testimony. His testimony is the very word of God. John states in verse 34 and 35, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit 
without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. These are dynamite, power-punched verses, and I want to just tell you how God authorizes Jesus here three ways. First of all, he whom God sent, number one, speaks the words of God. If you could put that up, Carmelinda, just put up that first one under this. He whom God sent speaks the words of God. Thank you so much. Seventeen times in John's gospel, Jesus is called the one sent from God. To listen to Jesus is to listen to the very voice of God. This could never be said of John the Baptist or any other preacher or any other man. Can't say it of me. He's never spoken something that was not of God. Not true. Only Jesus can say that about himself. And John could say it about Jesus. Jesus not only was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word was God. What a commission the Father gave to His Son to reject the witness and the Word of the Son, Jesus, is to rebel against the highest authority in the universe. And then a second thought. He whom Jesus sent, number two, gives the Spirit without measure. Notice verse 34. We read, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, said, The Spirit in Christ is not in Christ as in a vessel, but as in a fountain, as in the bottomless ocean. The Jews had a saying about the prophets that was true. They said that God gave a certain measure of his spirit to each of the prophets. It's true, just like he gives to us certain gifts. But God poured out the spirit in full measure. He kept nothing back with Jesus because Jesus is God. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus possessed and still possesses all the spiritual gifts which in part or in portions are given to each one of us. Jesus has and is the perfect fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control, of which against those there is no law. He possesses the Spirit without measure. And then thirdly, he, he whom God sent, the Father loves, and with him the Father has eternal love. Put a comma there. For the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoy a love relationship out of which all things have been given into his hands. Because the Father loves the Son. I think of the words of Jesus to the Jews. He said in John 5.20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So... We've given you four. We have five. Jesus' testimony is from above and above all others. His testimony is an eyewitness testimony. His testimony agrees perfectly with his father's. His testimony is the very word of God. And lastly, Jesus' testimony sets before us a choice that determines our destiny. These concluding words are the words why I've called this the pleading of God for commitment. We read in John 3, 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
Jesus had similar words in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will or those who obey the will of God. Huh. Yeah, but Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. In your name we've cast out demons. In your name we've done many wonderful works. And then I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Why do I call John's word a plea or a pleading for commitment? It's because he pulled out the stops here. How did he pull out the stops? This whole book of John talks about the love of God. One time in John's gospel, never in his epistles, he mentions the word wrath, the wrath of God in this verse. One time. Six times he mentions God's wrath in Revelation. One time in his gospel and epistles, and here it is, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But now look, there's another side. He's saying to his disciples, don't miss it. Whoever does not obey the Son, if you won't turn to him, you will not see life, but the wrath of God will remain on you. Wow. Eternity and all of life centers on one decision we must make at the crossroads of life. And we can't make that decision unless the Father draws us. But the Father uses other people to draw us. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're appealing, begging others in Christ's name. Be reconciled to him. John is pleading with his disciples that are following him. Don't have any more jealousy in your bones. Don't be bitter. Don't be angry. Don't be controlling. Don't worry about the bigger crowds. My mission is about over. Believe now in Jesus. He'll give you eternal life. But I plead with you, if you fail to obey the Son of God, the wrath of God will be upon you. Yesterday, as tears came to my eyes and I was talking to this man I asked you to pray for. I told him, I said, right now you're on your way to hell. He said, I know it. I said, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to go to heaven as my brother. I'm pleading with you. Beloved, don't be afraid to warn others, your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors, your fellow workers on the job, your acquaintances, don't be afraid to tell them it's heaven or hell. Don't be afraid to tell them. Jesus did that with Nicodemus. John is doing it with his disciples. And the last thought I have with you is I want you to realize that once you come to Jesus, it is a personal relationship. It's personal. It's a living relationship, a loving relationship, and a learning relationship. Let me look at the first one, a living relationship. Why? Because you're born the second time. You're born now not in body but in spirit. Your spirit is your spirit and soul. You're born again. You receive Jesus. You share his very life. It's a living relationship, a living personal relationship. Also, it's a loving relationship. Last week in the message we learned Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride. It's a loving relationship. And why are you in church today? The same reason I am. 
Because it's a learning relationship. Why do we come to Sunday school? It's a learning relationship. We receive the word and then we walk in it. Notice how John the Baptist had this plea in his testimony. I just want to close by asking the question. Do you have a plea in your testimony? First of all, do you have a testimony? Do you share with others about Jesus? Is there a plea? God wants us to set before others a choice between life and death, heaven or hell, Jesus or Satan, eternal life or eternal death. Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony that you believe the testimony from above, that's above all others? Do you believe that eyewitness testimony that perfectly agrees with the Father's, that testimony which is the very word of God, that testimony that sets a choice before us? Have you, because the Father drew you, have you received, have you believed? Do you have Jesus in your life? And then are you sharing it with others? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him.